Say Metro by T-Mobile. Got the best deal in wireless. And it's all for you. All for me. Just switch quickly. Because Metro has two lines for 80. And two Samsung Galaxy J7 Star phones for free. Plus Amazon Prime included. That's the way wireless should be. Only at Metro. Plus sales tax and activation fee. $50 plus rate plan required. Not valid for numbers currently on T-Mobile Network or on Metro in past 90 days. Offer subject to change. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Amazon Prime has a $12.99 per month value. Restrictions apply. See store for details and terms and conditions. Hello and welcome into another episode of the Under the Dome podcast. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I'm back. I'm your host, Ben Belden, and uh, I gotta confess that today on a uh, Saturday in the middle of February, I'm a little bit fired up about Notre Dame football, about Notre Dame basketball, and you know a couple of other things in between, I guess you could kind of say. So here we are again recording kind of the first time we'll really talk about football in 2019 also talking about the Notre Dame basketball team and, and everything in between as well. So we're going to have Nathan Erbach on in the second part of the show. He's going to talk about some uh, football recruiting and obviously, you know, maybe weigh in on some of the things that I have to say here in this first segment as well. But before we get to that, I just want to talk about a couple of things that we got going on at the Under the Dome podcast. First of all, if you're watching this on YouTube, I appreciate you. We're really trying to increase the video content. We're both going to do, you know, podcast type shows on YouTube, but we're also going to put some other stuff on there, some breakdowns of, you know, football plays, basketball plays and things. I've got some big plans for things to do with the YouTube channel. So make sure you're subscribing on YouTube. If you're listening to this in audio form, go find the YouTube channel and subscribe. The easiest way to go is to, you know, find the link, whether that be at my Twitter at under the dome underscore ND under the dome ND.com, or you can find it on Instagram as well in the bio. Um, that Instagram handle is under the dome underscore ND as well. So go to one of those places or, you know, just go to YouTube and search under the dome. We've got one welcome video up thus far, but we're going to be using that YouTube channel for some exclusive type stuff coming forward. And, um, you know, just putting our shows and things on there as well. We'll also be doing some YouTube live in the future and that type of thing as well. So you won't want to miss any of that. So go to that YouTube channel, subscribe under the dome nd.com you can go find the link and, and all of that good stuff so we appreciate those of you who do that also make sure you're subscribing on itunes google play stitcher soundcloud podbean spotify all of those places where podcasts can be found we're there um, so if you're more of the type of person that would rather listen in your car on the way to work or something along those lines by all means go check those out as well we uh, appreciate those of you who continue to do that and help grow this podcast. We're really excited about the things that we're going to be able to do here in the near future. So speaking of things that we're excited about, I'm excited um, you know, about this podcast and I'm excited that we have Electrosound um, as kind of a sponsor for this podcast. They've hooked me up with uh, you know this microphone, some audio recording equipment and things. And they've been a big help as we uh, have gotten this podcast off the ground. So if you have, you know, any type of audio needs, whether that's, you know, you're planning some sort of an outdoor or indoor event, 
make sure you go to electrosound.com, contact them, and they'll be able to uh, help you up, help you out with uh, your audio needs, whether that's buying, renting equipment, coming out, consulting, checking out your setup, and that type of thing. They'll uh, they'll they'll help you out with that stuff as well. So make sure you check them out. That's electrosound.com, E-L-E-C-T-R-I sound.com. So Thanks in advance for checking them out, and thanks also for tuning in with us today. So, speaking of today's content and things, um, I gotta say, guys, I'm a little bit uh, I'm a little bit fired up about a couple things, and um, I've mentioned this on the show before that a lot of times when I do a show, uh, kind of in, in the nature of the things that I'm uh, you know talking about today. Um, I get some of the things that I'm talking about off of what I see off of social media where, you know, rather than responding to people in 280 characters or whatever it is, you know, I'm going to get behind a microphone and and sort of give my ideas on some of these things. So that's no different today. And, um, you know, it it stems from some stuff that I've seen on social media the last couple of weeks or so. So um, I'm going to start off with just this you know, maybe, uh, I don't know that I'd call it a hot take. It's more of like a lukewarm take, but uh, I I don't know. Here it is, all right? Based off of, you know, what uh, fans have been talking about in regard to the Notre Dame football team and the the thrashing they took in the Cotton Bowl and the way that the Notre Dame basketball team has struggled this year, you know, this is really like a whole Notre Dame type of a topic. Um, Here's my take, all right? Notre Dame fans, I don't care what sport it is, are the absolute worst fan base as far as not understanding how good they have it as far as their fandom is concerned, all right? Notre Dame fans are the worst about always wanting more. Even when things are relatively decent, always want more, always going to whine about more, always going to just not be happy with whatever it is that they they do have, okay? So first of all, you know, I I wrote down a couple of notes. Let's sort of, you know, uh, I'll take you through this thought process that I was having. You know, first of all, when you're talking about the Notre Dame football team, like how nice is it, first of all, to have a program that has some actual history to it? I mean, there are only so many programs, and you can name them. I mean, the Alabamas, the Texases, the um, Michigan, USC. There are only so many programs that you would consider a program that has the type of history that makes it into a blue blood type of a program that Notre Dame has. That's number one. Uh, second of all, Notre Dame football has won almost 73% of its games in its history. And I want you to sort of just take back, sit back and just kind of think about that for a second. 73% of its games. That's almost 75, almost three out of four. If I told you, I don't know, if you were a baseball player and I said you could hit the ball three out of four times every time you went to the plate, you'd be a pretty darn good baseball player. Um, If you were a three-point shooter in basketball and I said you're going to make three out of four three-point shots that you take every time. Heck, even foul shots, if you were going to make three out of four, a lot of people would be like, okay, yeah, three out of four is pretty good. Now, granted, they've only won about 60% of those, you know, 60% of their games over the past 20 years, and I think that's where Notre Dame fans, um, you know, where, where things kind of come from as far as the frustration of Notre Dame football fans. But, you know, 73% of its games over the course of its history, all right, only 26 football programs have won 60% or better over the course of their 
whole existence. And Notre Dame has won 60% of its games over the past 20 years. And Notre Dame fans, despite going 22-4 and over the last two seasons, are acting like the sky is falling. Acting like the sky is falling because we've kind of been in this rut of eight and four, nine and three, very often can't win the big game. I get it, but we've won sixty percent of our games over the past twenty years, seventy three percent over the course of Notre Dame's football history. In some, and you would never guess it because of what some Notre Dame fans today in twenty nineteen are saying. By the way, people talk about how. Brian Kelly, well, he's no Eric Parsegian, or he's no Lou Holtz, or he's no whatever. He's he's not good enough for the program. Brian Kelly's winning percentage at Notre Dame is 70%. That is, you know, I guess if you don't count, you know, the games that they supposedly lost because they had to forfeit due to uh, academic issues and things. But if you take the actual games, and we, we all count the games that way, Brian Kelly has won 70% of his games at Notre Dame. And people want the man's head. Now, it's certainly cooled off. You know, four and eight season a couple years back was a lot of, you know, that was a lot of the reason behind that. But Brian Kelly, 70% win percentage, and you and people hate this man. It's ridiculous, all right? And then there's the basketball team. And this is really where this kind of started, although it sort of grew into a football and basketball type of an issue. Um, let's, first of all, get something straight. Notre Dame is not a basketball school, never has been, but they've competed well in the ACC. A couple years back, you know, they were a jump shot away from making it to the final four against a Kentucky team that was one of the best college basketball teams ever, all right? Um, But in the last five years, they've been to two Elite Eights, and, you know, like I said, in one of those years, they almost made it to the final four against a Kentucky team that, you know, Really darn good. Let's just put it that way. I won't go into that Kentucky team because, I mean, this is a Notre Dame podcast, but let's just say that Kentucky team had some NBA players on it. Um, Mike Bray, done a decent job in recruiting. You know, this year not really going well for him, but, you know, this this freshman class that's in is a is a class that I think Notre Dame fans, when you sit back and look at it after the, after the four years, you know, these guys that Bray has brought in, you know, they're going to be, um, uh, people are going to be satisfied, I guess is what I'm trying to say, with this freshman class. Um, and speaking of Mike Bray, um, the guy has been the coach of Notre Dame for the last 18 seasons. All right? He's the fourth longest tenured coach among Power 5 schools. The other three coaches that are more tenured than him, Mike Krzyzewski, Jim Beheim, Tom Izzo. Three guys who've had quite a bit of success at their programs. And um, speaking of winning percentages and things, Mike Bray, 66% win percentage. That's with 15 and 17 a couple years back. That's with um, an underwhelming season a year ago that was due to a lot of injuries. That's with a 500 season in 2019. 66% win percentage at a school where basketball is an afterthought. And Notre Dame fans, I see on Twitter and things, want him fired. And I don't mean to say, don't misinterpret what I'm saying. I, I haven't seen a lot of people with, you know, pitchforks and 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 whatnot, you know, 
metaphorically speaking, coming after Bray saying that, you know, this guy's awful. That hasn't happened. So if you haven't seen it, that's why, because it hasn't happened. But there are people insinuating, okay, maybe it's time for Bray to move on. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? The guy's one of the best coaches as far as getting what he gets from players that aren't the same type of players that Duke is getting and and Kentucky's getting. And yet, the man has been to the Elite Eight two times in the last five years. Might have gotten to the Sweet 16 Elite Eight if Bonzi Colson doesn't break his foot last year. Certainly would have gotten to the tournament. Still should have gotten to the tournament anyway. Beat Syracuse on Syracuse's home floor. Syracuse made the tournament with a similar resume. And still they were only left out because Davidson in the Atlantic 10 wasn't going to make the tournament and ended up winning the A-10 tournament. And that was probably the spot that Notre Dame was supposed to get in the field of 64. So when people say things like they want Mike Bray fired or they think it's time for him to move on, craziness. Same goes with Brian Kelly. The guy is 22-4 and four over the last two seasons, and people are still raging, hopping mad on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, and they've got all of these hot takes about the fact that Mike Bray and Brian Kelly aren't good enough for Notre Dame. Okay. All right. Um... By the way, I didn't even speak about, speaking of, you know, tenured coaches and such, uh, if you want to talk about Notre Dame women's basketball, Muffet McGraw, 32 seasons at the helm, eight Final Fours, let's see, what else, nine Elite Eights, 822 wins at Notre Dame, and a 78% winning percentage. Hockey, by the way, four Frozen Fours, that's kind of a lot. Given and I'm not a hockey guy, but four frozen fours. So, you know, <laughs> Notre Dame fans need to sort of just kind of take a step back and just sort of appreciate what they've got. How many schools, and I didn't look this part up, I'm thinking about this just now. How many schools, <laughs> Power Five schools, can say that over the course of the past 32 years, I'm sorry, well, I guess we'll go 18 years since Mike Bray has been there, haven't had to hire a men's or women's basketball coach. It's really actually kind of infuriating when when people at Notre Dame don't understand how good they have it as far as sports are concerned. So when I hear people say like these knee-jerk type of reactions that Brian Kelly needs gone, you know, Mike Bray needs to be gone, I just, I kind of can't help myself but to to get really, really frustrated. For the football team, obviously they're going to talk about the fact that, you know, they uh, can't win the big game. For the basketball team, they're going to cite the fact that last year, you know, things didn't go the way that they wanted to. This year they're a 500 team and not doing well in the ACC. Um you know, I've talked about all this. As far as football is concerned, 22 and 4, people. 22 and 4 in the last two seasons when they were 4 and 8 the year before that. Now, you know, we can get into a discussion about whether 4 and 8 should have happened and who's at fault for 4 and 8. And, you know, is 4 and 8, like how much of a blemish is 4 and 8? But that's a conversation that's different than 
complaining about you know Notre Dame and where they are right now. The facts are this: they were four and eight two calendar years ago. They were coming off a four and eight season, and all Brian Kelly has done since then is reinvent the program, reinvent himself, and it's worked, people. It's worked. If Notre Dame, if there was no Notre Dame before three or four years ago, all right, and they had a couple decent seasons, then they went four and eight, and then they go twenty two and four after that. For the next two years, people would be astounded at how far they have come. Astounded, all right? But because it's Notre Dame, and because there's a long history at Notre Dame, and because people, you know, just think that Notre Dame is this type of school that's just going to compete on a national championship type level every year, you can't be excited about 22-4. and four. It's actually, you know, as I kind of continue to say it, I just kind of get even a little bit more fired up than I was whenever I was just thinking about this and kind of writing down some of my thoughts. Which brings me to my next part. I I mentioned as I let off the show, you know, that I get a lot of my inspiration for what I want to talk about off of social media. And let me tell you this, if you're thinking about starting a Notre Dame podcast or, you know, writing about Notre Dame football or, you know, talking about Notre Dame in general, just look no further than to go to one of the tweets from Notre Dame football and just read the replies, okay? It's actually pretty comical that some of these people say these things, but, you know, depending on the mood you're in that day, you might get yourself a little bit, you know, fired up, all right? Uh, Notre Dame tweeted the other day uh, a video, all right, and basically said process over outcome. As players for Notre Dame, you know, start to go through their offseason lifting program and their conditioning and all of that. They tweeted out some of these things and, you know, process over outcome. Seems pretty harmless, right? You know, I I don't think that the Notre Dame football intern that tweeted that thought that they would get the backlash that they got for some people. But regardless, just some really, really funny replies on that tweet. If you haven't seen it yet, you know, search through Notre Dame football, Twitter, media, and you'll find it. But, you know, I get that that particular content, or I'm sorry, that particular concept is, how do I put this? A lot of it is, you know, kind of blown smoke. It's coach speak. It's, you know, people don't like the trust the process because people want to win now and all of that stuff. You don't want a process is pretty much it. You just want to win now. Um, but at the same time, when you think about the concept of a football or a basketball program even, or, you know, just life in general, that's a, that's an important concept. It's about the journey, people. It's about where you're going, not necessarily, um, once you get there, I suppose. Now, once you get there, if Notre Dame were to win a title in the near future or gets to a point where they are competing for titles legitimately in the next couple of years. Like I'm not going to I'm not saying that's not important. I'm not saying that's the bad thing, but you don't just go from 4 and 8 to national title in a year or 2 years even. And so when people lose their daggone minds about Notre Dame losing to a team like Clemson who walloped Alabama for the national title. It just doesn't seem right to me that these people, the people that do this, 
can just, you know, uh, that are, that I just don't deal with whiners well, I guess is what it is. I, I don't know. Um, and I, it's hard to sort of quantify this feeling that I have. It's very, okay, uh, I'm a millennial, all right? I fall into that, that generation. Although I don't necessarily think I think the same way as many millennials, I'm a millennial. And it's very millennial of people to, you know, disregard the process and want immediate gratification and want to win now. And ironically, I feel like it's the millennial people, the people like me, the the younger people who maybe don't have, you know, aren't quite as well-versed in the history of Notre Dame as some of our, you know, the generation before us and our counterparts and didn't see the Notre Dame teams of the 80s and 90s and... Um, not really the 90s, disregard that I said that, but the 70s and the 80s, um, we didn't see that, we didn't witness that level of success and the success that came even prior to that. But I just think it's very ironic that this there's this older generation of Notre Dame people or these Notre Dame historians that just think, wow, the program just isn't what it used to be and they're not winning. And 22 and four, over the last two seasons, following a four and eight season, I'll probably say that probably three, four more times on this show. Um, but I want to get back to that tweet for a hot second. People who I, I I don't know I don't know what to say to some of you people. People who want to be you know Twitter crusaders just just kind of make me laugh. You know those of you who make fun of those tweets. You know what what do you think? you're accomplishing. You know, I don't think, like I said, I don't think that the intern or the communications major or the whatever that tweeted that really cares what you have to say in the first place. Um, I also don't think that, you know, Brian Kelly reads those tweets and thinks to himself like, you know, um, hmm, I bet, you know what I should try to do? I should try to win. I don't think... That, uh, you know, little Billy, communications intern, is going to walk into Brian Kelly's office and be like, hey, Coach Kelly, you know, this guy on Twitter says he doesn't care about your process. He just wants to win. I don't think Brian Kelly's losing sleep about that overnight, I I suppose. You know, I don't think Brian Kelly's just like, hey, you know what? Maybe I'm going to start trying. Maybe I should start trying to win a little bit more. It's ludicrous. Like, it sounds ludicrous. I, I don't know. Like the people who who do those things must be the type of people that when they they take road trips, they uh, you know throw their uh, throw their AirPods in and they surf Instagram the whole way instead of like actually looking out the window and 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 interacting with the other people in the car and things. You know, it's just it's just this immediate gratification that some people seem to have that it just bugs me. And these same people that want Notre Dame to win and win now also want somebody else to come in and take Brian Kelly's place. What? He's won 70% of his games and 22 out of his last 26 and you want somebody else. The only way that Brian Kelly was going to leave after the season was over is if he went to take an NFL job and you know, some people, you know, I talked about, you know, is this the time that Brian Kelly is going to take an NFL job? Would, would this make sense? I sort of thought the timing would have been good for him to do that because his stock will never be higher. Seems like Brian Kelly wants to be here. Seems like he's doing a pretty good job winning 22 out of 26 games over the last 20, over the last two years. So, but So 
If Brian Kelly, like, there should be no talking about Brian Kelly going elsewhere unless it's within the context of does he want to go somewhere else? And then my favorite thing is people that people say, well, who's going to be better than Brian Kelly? Who cares? That, if that's the only, that shouldn't be the only reason that you want Brian Kelly to be your football coach. You should want Brian Kelly to be your football coach because he's been successful everywhere he's coached. 70% of the games that he's coached at Notre Dame, he has won. Notre Dame has only won 73% of its games in its history. Okay? He's only the tiniest bit below the average. And people talk about how great some of those other ones were. So think about all the other coaches in between there, besides the Eric Parsegians and the Lou Holtzes of the world. Think of all the other coaches that just were awful. And you want to run Brian Kelly out of town. People want to run Mike Bray out of town. People don't appreciate at Notre Dame what they've got. And it's frustrating. Okay, it's very, very frustrating. As far as how Notre Dame's doing, you know, state of the program type of a deal, could you really, can you really think of a time other than right now where you were hopeful about Notre Dame, and I'm talking within the last 20 years, where you were hopeful about Notre Dame and what they can do in the near future, where you like really thought, you know, okay, Notre Dame goes and they play at Georgia next year. Hopefully I'll be there, by the way. Um, can you really think of a time where, you know, you're thinking, well, you know, if this goes right and that goes right, then they can beat Georgia, who's a kind of a national powerhouse. And if these things don't go right, well, they're not going to win. Can you really think of a time where there was the same level of optimism going forward, where recruiting classes are good, they've got, you know, wide receivers and a quarterback that's good, they've got a defense coming off of a really good year, they have only have to plug in a couple places and they're going to be right back where they were, they might not win 12 games next year, that's fine, but they can not win, they can win 9 or 10 games next year and take a step forward, in my opinion, and can you really think of a time where there's been continuous growth, growth over the last 20 years, where there's been continuous growth for three or four years without a major setback. I don't really think that you can. The people who want to fire Brian Kelly, the people that want Mike Bray to leave the basketball team, the people who, I, I even saw it about Muffet McGraw at some point. You know, this team is sloppy on occasion, so we must need a new coach. Come on, people. Come on. All right, so like I said, we're going to bring in Nathan Erbach for the next part of this podcast. He's going to talk some recruiting and uh, we'll uh, wait to listen to hear Nathan and what he has to say about recruiting and everything else in between. So stick with us. And we're back. And as promised, I have Nathan Erbach on the line. Nathan, like I mentioned on the uh, other side of the podcast, is our kind of resident recruiting expert, and he's the guy that uh, has educated me a lot in recruiting and things, and you know, it follows this really much more closely than I do. But anyway, uh, without further ado, Nathan, how are you doing? Doing, doing well, Ben. Doing well. Uh, too bad our Irish basketball team can't do anything worth a damn this year, but uh, yeah. Over overall, it's uh, I'm excited to talk a little football. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, I recorded the first part of the segment before today's game against Virginia Tech, and now I'm recording this one after it. And um, I don't know. I, I talked to Notre Dame basketball a little bit on the first segment and how uh, it's been a tough year and things, but that uh, Mike Bray is still doing a pretty darn good job. And I think that's true when you see a team that, uh, you know, I guess uh, is it can keep it close against these teams, but it's just so challenged as far as uh, shot making and things are concerned. But anyway, we're here, we're here to talk football, and um, <laughs> let's let's do that before I get depressed. Um, we haven't had, recorded a podcast since um, National Signing Day and the inking of the uh, you know the most recent recruiting class. And I understand you probably have uh, a few comments about some of those guys that you really like. So let's just kind of start there and say, um, and you know, which guys do you like? Which guys um, do you think are going to have the biggest impact at Notre Dame eventually? Yeah, so I think the recruiting class has to start with Kyle Hamilton when you talk about it. Uh, he's a five-star safety out of Georgia. And uh, for my money, he's probably the best recruit they've landed since Jalen Smith. So pretty high praise on my end for him. And I think a lot of people, you know, in the recruiting industry would pretty much agree there. Uh, I mean, he's just one of those guys that jumps off the tape when it, when it comes to his overall size and athleticism, um, his intangibles, and then just also just being like a, um, a Notre Dame fit. Uh, great, you know, great in the classroom. Uh, just a, seems like a really good kid overall. So one of those one of those rare occasions where the uh, athleticism and the mind um, come together, where you know Notre Dame can land a five star because we all know that that is, you know, somewhat rare uh, with you know with them being in the Midwest and the type of. Um, academic rigors and you know the religious institution that they kind of represent so kyle hamilton definitely is where i think this class starts um you know and then after that after him i think that the top four to five guys in this class um are really what separate or really have separated themselves from you know the others um, I think the next two that are really worth talking about are uh, Zeke Carell, who many people are pegging as a center for them in, uh, down the road. Um, he's from Ohio, uh, ended up being a top 100 guy on uh, 24-7 sports. Um, not as big as a guy like Quentin Nelson um, or Alex Bars or, any, or you know those kind of guys, but um, kind of plays with the sort of main streak of uh, Quentin Nelson and has a very similar high school tape to him. Um, but just because of his maybe lack of size compared to someone like Quentin Nelson, a lot of people see him moving inside the center. Um, you know, and Notre Dame looks like they're probably going to need a center here in the next uh, year or so. So uh, a really, really good pickup there. Next guy that's worth talking about is Jacob Lacey, de- uh, defensive tackle out of Kentucky. He's gonna, He's an early enrollee. Um, and he's probably going to be in the two deep right away. Um, one of those guys that sort of gets lost in the shuffle to a certain extent when it comes to recruiting only because he committed to Notre Dame so early. So you kind of get that um, recruiting fatigue or player fatigue uh, when it comes to someone like him. Um, but he's, you know, he's probably ready to contribute right away um, and should be a really good interior defensive lineman for him down the road. 
And then the last two guys I think worth talking about are Andrew Kristoffic, same high school as uh, Phil Zerkovic. Um, probably the highest upside of all the offensive linemen in the class, um, mainly because he can play legitimately left tackle. Um, and is just one of those extremely athletic offensive linemen and, uh, you know, basketball player background, so on and so forth. Um, and then the most recent commit, which was um, Isaiah Foskey, defensive end at a De La Salle high school in California. So um, originally it was recruited as a tight end. Um, Notre Dame started kind of down the line recruiting him more as a defensive end. Uh, at one point it seemed like they had no chance at landing him. And then it was like, you know, the last six months or so it was like, okay, Notre Dame's a hundred percent going to land him. Um, but I think he has a lot of upside as a pass rusher and someone that could definitely ease into a starting position once um, Julian Aguara and Khalid, uh, Khalid Kareem are, uh, are off to the NFL. So I think that those five guys specifically kind of separate themselves from the rest. I get asked, you know, and I have been asked this exact question as I've, you know, kind of gone on to uh, other people's podcasts and, and other shows. You know, Notre Dame, I, I don't know where they ended up number-wise, somewhere in the 10 to 15 range, something like 14, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, is this a good recruiting class for Notre Dame, or, or is there reason for disappointment, or is this just as good as any other year? So it's pretty similar to the last few years when you look at an overall ranking standpoint. Um, I, I try to urge people to stick with one, with one recruiting platform. So whether that's rivals or 24 seven or 24 seven composite ESPN, if you really want to go that route, which I don't recommend, but, um, you know, I, I think I, the other thing I try to urge people to do is, is honestly make kind of make your own opinion. Cause when you start getting into recruiting rankings, and, you know, looking at 15 versus seven or, you know, whatever, every year is kind of different. You know, most years, you know, you kind of have like a different uh, differential from like the top two classes, uh, you know, maybe even like top five classes. But once you hit like class six, seven, there's not a big difference between those classes and class 15. You know, it's really maybe the difference between landing a few a few guys. So if Notre Dame maybe had a 25-man class over a 22-man class, you're looking at a class that probably hits the top 10 fairly easily. But then if you start looking at just pure players over, you know, versus – so if you look at talent versus – or I should say probably a better way to say it is quality versus quantity – then you're looking at a class that I think is actually one of the better classes that they've landed in the last you know five or six cycles. Um, so I, especially because like I said, you're you're getting a guy like Kyle Hamilton. I can't remember the last time they got a guy like Kyle Hamilton, and we're looking at you know Jalen Smith, which is you know we're that's like close to you know ten years down the road at this point. So um, anytime you land a guy like him, you know you're you're starting to get into top-end talent, and I think that that automatically makes the class a little bit better. Which of these guys, if any, do you think have a chance to make an impact next year? That's kind of the hot-button you know, topic question that people want to have answered about this recruiting class, I feel like. Yeah, I mean, so go, kind of going off a little bit what we already talked about, Hamilton, of course, I think could probably play um, a decent role, like maybe as a slot corner for them next year. Um, if Sean Crawford's, you know, injuries aren't really, uh, um, 
you know, leading him, leading him to playing. I, I definitely think Hamilton has the skill set to play slot corner and then probably enter the two deep as safety. Uh, same thing with Jacob Lacey. Um, that's probably, you know, the defensive tackle position with, with Tillery and um, Jonathan Bonner leaving. Mike Dutreadway has transferred, you know, out of the program. So that's three guys that, you know, were in the mix um, and two of them were starters. So you're looking, and then, you know, now you have MTA coming back from, from, you know, injury, uh, Jamie and Jamie on Franklin, uh, tore his quad last year. And a lot of people are speculating that he could miss this year. And, um, you know, because of the significance of the torn quad. So I could definitely see Jacob Lacey being in the two deep. Um, I could see, uh, Kyron Williams, who's a running back recruit for them, four star out of Missouri. Um, I could see him cracking, you know, the top three, he, he can, he can catch the ball out of the backfield. Um, he can, you know, he can run in between the tackles. He's probably more shifty than he is fast. Um, but I could definitely see him getting a little bit of playing time. Um, they did land a punter out of Alabama named Jay Bramlett. He'll probably be their starting punter this year. Um, there's not really any other guys that are in the mix for that position. Um, so not necessarily like a high profile type of, you know, situation there, but we all know that special teams can win, win and lose you ball games. Um, other than that, you know, I don't know if a lot of guys are going to play early. Um, you know, Notre Dame's returning a lot of players, um, and one of their better, you know, their two best position groups, offensive line and defensive, um, and the defensive line. You know, there's not really a big need, maybe outside of interior defensive line, where I said Jacob Lacey would play, you know, for, for guys to, to, to suit up early. So um, I could definitely see a lot of those players making impacts, you know, in their second and third years when some of these players that are, that are in the starting mix right now have left the program. Let me ask you this then, because something that you just said, you know, I think is a good thing. You know, you don't want freshmen generally to play a whole, you know, a big role on, on teams that have contended because that means that you've lost a whole lot. And, you know, that obviously if freshmen aren't going to play a role, then that's that's kind of good for Notre Dame. Is that kind of a sign, do you think, that Notre, this football program, because this is kind of what I was talking about, I suppose, earlier on in the uh, in the first part of my podcast. Is this a sign that, you know, the Notre Dame program is – in a healthy spot as it continues to move forward? Yeah, I think for the most part, I mean, it's, a, I think anytime that you can red shirt guys that are not even necessarily red shirt guys, but just not have guys play significant roles that, you know, would maybe be a significant player on a, on a different team. That that's a good thing. So like, for example, this year, I think if, you know, this was the 2016 Notre Dame team. I could see guys like Isaiah Foskey or Nana Osafa Mensa, um, or even a guy like Howard Cross playing early on the defensive line. But because we have guys like Khalid Kareem in place, we have guys like Julian Aquara, Dalen Hayes, Adi, um, um, Adi Jameer Jones, um, you know, MTA, Kurt Heinisch, like the, the Notre Dame is, especially at the defensive end spots, are loaded with, you know, almost a three deep of guys. So, although I could see Foskey and Nana getting in there and in, in some sort of role, there's just not the need for it. Now, obviously, like how Clemson showed this past year where, you know, Trevor Lawrence played at quarterback 
and you know Justin Ross kind of like took over as you know one of their best players on offense you know if something like that happens you know that then great like, and that's kind of where I could see like maybe Kyle Hamilton or or even Jacob Lacey getting really good playing time and so they they just might be too good to to not play if that makes sense um, you know, and then kind of similar to this past year where a lot of people thought Kevin Austin had a really good chance to play, but then you had Miles Boinkin and Chase Claypool step up. So he didn't really need to. Um, so yeah, it's all relative to, uh, to the position group. Um, but yeah, it, it is to answer your question a little bit, you know, more clear. It is a testament to the depth that they've been developing the last few cycles with this newer, uh, with, with all the new coaches in place and how well they've done on the trail. All right. So kind of where I want to end the uh, recruiting talk, unless you have more to add afterwards is that obviously today was a big day for Notre Dame recruiting as they hosted a bunch of juniors on campus for junior day. Um, anything that you've heard or anything that, uh, you know, you're looking forward to that, uh, you know, could come out of this junior day experience for some of these guys. Well, just to kind of give an update on who was there for, for people who might not know. Um, one of their top safety targets, uh, Lathan Ransom out of Arizona, was on campus today. Um, they had a four-star out of Colorado. Offensive lineman Reese Atterbury was on campus as well. Um, Justin Robinson, who a lot of teams are recruiting as a wide receiver, um, but Notre Dame seems to like him a little bit more as safety. He was on campus. Uh, three-star running back uh, Jutan McLean was on campus. He's out of Ohio. Notre Dame seems to be really high on him. Um, I think he's taken the process a little bit slower, so it's possible. I, I don't think we're looking at anything um, in terms of a commitment timeline out of him anytime soon. Um, one of their top, one of their bigger targets, at, uh, wide receiver Malik Carr out of Michigan, was also on campus. Um, and then they had a few guys that you know hadn't been offered yet, uh, might receive an offer down the road. Some of them received an offer today, like Cam Cam Large. Um, defensive end out of Connecticut was offered today. Um, we'll see if Notre Dame can kind of make some inroads with him. But uh, honestly, the, the the funny part about the the junior day today was they don't always it doesn't always stick to juniors. A lot of them end up being you know sophomores or even freshmen that are more high profile. And there was a lot of talk today about the 2021 class and specifically four-star quarterback Tyler Buckner, who many feel could commit to Notre Dame here soon. Uh, he's out of California, has offers from you know most of the top programs in the country, including Alabama, Ohio State, um, USC. Uh, he's going to Stanford here in a week, and then a lot of people think he could make his decision after that, but Notre Dame probably leads for him. Uh, wide receiver uh, Lorenzo Styles was also on campus today from Ohio. It's kind of a Notre Dame Ohio State battle between with him. Um, I think Steve Wiltfong over uh, at Twenty Four Seven Sports kind of said that if there was a guy that was going to commit today, it could be him. Doesn't look like that's going to happen, I would assume. But um, but they did make some mid rounds with some twenty twenty one guys um, as well as the twenty twenty guys today. All right. Anything I missed? Uh, just kind of expanding a little bit on that list. Um, I mentioned Lathan Ransom. He's no, I think he's probably Notre Dame's top safety target. Um, I don't know if he's committing anytime soon. I, I'm not really sure what his timeline is. 
Um, that's another Notre Dame, Ohio state prob, uh, battle. Most likely, um, he's going to Ohio state tomorrow. Um, yeah, no, I, it's still early. Uh, it's good to know some of these names, but it's also, um, at this point, it's funny. You read these message boards and people get carried away with what, what's considered a three star, four star, five star at this time, but we're a year away from signing day for the most part. And, um, it's just, I find it funny how many people are like, well, that guy's a three star. Why, why is he on campus already? Or why are we, why have we offered him? And, you know, I, I, you know, you want to use a good example from last year, Kyle Hamilton at this time last year was like a low, a low rated three star, but had like offers from almost everybody in the country. And people were like, okay, just wait, he's going to be, you know, he's going to end up being one of the top players in the class. And, it just goes back to what I said earlier about, you know, do your own research, kind of watch your own film and then kind of have these opinions about these guys. Cause at this point, especially for 2020, 2021 kids, it's way too early to, you know, to tell what, what guys are really going to be on the coaches board from six months from now. Um, you know, maybe a few guys commit here soon, but you know, offers and stuff like that are going to keep coming out for a long time. All right. Well, Thanks, Nathan, for uh, jumping on and giving us our recruiting update. Good stuff. Stuff that, you know, I don't have the, uh, I don't know, the uh, capabilities to to deliver. That's for sure. Um, thanks, listeners, for tuning into this podcast. Make sure you're checking us out all over the web. Um, we're doing new stuff with YouTube and all of that stuff as well that I mentioned all of that stuff at the top of the show. So make sure you follow us under the dome underscore ND follow Nathan on Twitter at Las Vegas, Irish Oh nine. Um, check out our YouTube channel and all of that stuff. Thanks for listening. And until next time, go Irish. Here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. Here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery.